In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to Bad Dad, Rad Dad, where we look for better dads one movie at a time. I'm Kylie. And I'm Elliot. And we're going to talk about the movies we watched this week before crowning the baddest dad and raddest dad of them all. As always, dad is an energy. It is not a gender. Congrats on 50 episodes, babe. Whoa. It's kind of wild. Closing in on a year of doing this. You guess how many movies we've covered in those 50 episodes? Uh, How many? Wait, give me a second. <laughs> I had it prepared and then I forgot. 245. Wow. That's a lot of movies. It's true. Truly is. And the fact that we're going to, that we're aiming for 365 this year, not to cover on the show necessarily, but just overall, it's also wild. Yeah. Some people might say it's a waste of life, but I don't think so. I like wasting my life with you. Same. And Valentine's Day is coming up. Oh. That was pretty romantic. <laughs> Could probably watch a movie on Valentine's Day or something. Oh yeah, I gotta pick the perfect little sweetie for these sweeties. Um, <laughs> um oh yeah, something else I want to clarify that was brought to our attention last episode is we we use the term feeling bleepy or bleeping and gave that no context. Just kind of brush past it because it's something that we've said in our in our relationship for a long time but growing up i used to refer to throwing up or vomiting as bleeping like when i was sick as a little kid i'd be like mom i'm gonna bleep i'm gonna bleep uh and it's so (laughs) it's so dumb and stupid don't know where it came from or why i called it that but i referred to throwing up as bleeping all through growing up then i brought that into our relationship and now we don't that's what we say we just say bleeping so apologize for not clarifying <laughs> for any confusion in last week's episode when we talked about bleeping. So but. to recontextualize, there was someone in the Swiss Army Man movie just yakking. Like they weren't actually throwing up, but they were doing the like the, heaving, gagging. It sounds like they're going to throw up. On the verge of a bleep. Yeah. 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 So there you go. There you go. Clarity. New word for your vernacular. Bleep. Um, and last thing I want to talk about 
it's the absolutely beautiful and obliterating episode three of The Last of Us. The show is incredible. I feel like we're just going to give it a week to week, like, thumbs up. <laughs> but this episode aired on your birthday. It did. And Very you chose sp- to watch it instead of a movie. Yeah. Uh, glad I did because it was very special and uh, one, yeah, one of the best pieces of television I've ever seen. I did see a meme today. I screenshotted it to show you later, but I think I'll just talk about it now. It said, I wasn't aware that The Last of Us was about mushroom people and that there's a mustache man trying to save a little lady from the mushroom people. Is this just elevated Mario? <laughs> oh my God. That's really good. <laughs> yeah, I thought you'd like it. Mushroom people. <laughs> that's really good but um highly recommend watching the last of us because it is killing it so far loving it okay we got six macaroonies that we watched this week and it's tons of mystery movie picks for the most part which is super lovely it's nice to get into this so let's get into this all right i picked the first one of the week uh it was a little bit of a sad story because i've been wanting to watch this for a while mm-hmm but it's not available on any streaming sites that you don't have to pay an additional fee to rent or buy it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I saw the library had it. So I was like, okay, I'm going to wait until I have time to go to the library and pick it up. Um, with diploma marking, that was really tough. There was a day we went to go pick stuff up uh, a couple of weeks before to get a book and the library was closed. And I was like, what? It's not open 24-7. So finally picked it up and then the DVD wouldn't even play. And then we ended up renting it anyway. But I'm going to try not to be mad about that uh, because I finally got to watch it. And it was Popstar Never Stop Never Stopping. <laughs> Came out in 2016. It's a comedy drama musical directed by Akiva Schaefer and Yorma Tacone, uh, and written by those two as well as Andy Samberg. So written by The Lonely Island. Oh, yeah. It stars all three of those boys. So Andy Samberg is Connor. Yerma Tacone as Owen, Akiva Schaefer as Lawrence, Sarah Silverman as Paula, and Tim Meadows as Harry. Synopsis. When it becomes clear that his solo album is a failure, a former boy band member does everything in his power to maintain his celebrity status. What do you think of Popstar Never Stop, Never Stopping? I never thought in a million years you would pick this movie. Yeah, but I like Andy Samberg, and I like musical comedies but also surprisingly you liked hot rod i did like hot rod so i feel like that had a bit of sway uh on this but also surprisingly you did pick hot rod when you were doing when we were doing the but that was for like the surprise of it because like you'd never think i'd pick hot rod whereas this one i was like no i want to watch it and also um somebody i follow on letterboxd too i just really respect their uh, I'm losing opinion yeah opinion on film <laughs> wow like my brain just blinked there I'm like what's words um, has consistently given this movie five stars and watches <laughs> it like twice a year oh man <laughs> so I was like oh I gotta watch it um, what did you what did you think though yeah. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't answer that question <laughs> you just <laughs> I didn't mean to man I did not mean to hit the reset button on you <laughs> heavens and record in a loop um yeah, so I saw this originally when it came out. It, well, I mean, it was like 2016, 2017. So you did it in the theater? No, I saw it when it uh, when it came out on streaming. Um, but it, I don't think I appreciated it that much. It was very much one of those things where I think I threw it on. So we would have you, you been living home. together. Yeah, I don't think you were home. Like It might have been when you were in New York or something. Um, 
and I uh, I watched it while also being on my phone. I think classic that'll yeah. come up later. <laughs> yes, um, so it wasn't really giving it the time of day, but rewatching it now, it's so hilarious. It's dumb smart. Yeah, I'm gonna propose. I agree. I want to propose a new term for that. Okay. Silly smart. Silly smart. That's that's. It's alliterative, and it's not ableist. Love that. But it's no longer a uh, paradox. So. Yeah. Take take that as you will. Um, but it is. It's like it knows what it's doing. And even though it's so, so, so silly and ridiculous, mm-hmm. it's saying something with its silliness and ridiculousness. Yeah. And I find that the Lonely Island guys are so good at this. Oh, yeah. Like they've just got a lock on Silly Smart. So this is the thing, though, because you're like, I never would have guessed you would have picked this. But even though um, like Hot Rod didn't really appeal to me because it's that goofy goof, but about like sports. But I love the Lonely Island songs. I love mm. I'm on a boat. Yeah, yeah. And like Dick in a Box and like, is that mm. what it's called? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I like that. I um, I like Weird Al Yankovic. I like satirical songs. We do it all the time. Mm-hmm. We love to, you were just doing that earlier, earlier. You're like, I got bills, they're multiplying, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and my favorite, my brother's, right? This was my brother's, the um, apple crumble. I want to eat some tonight. Oh, yeah. Metric is very good. And then he builds into eating a cheeseburger. Hamburger. Hamburger. Oh, no. Eating a hamburger. <laughs> so we do that a lot. Um. So, of course, I'm going to like this. Yeah. No, I 100% hear you. And it's just they've tapped into such an accurate depiction of modern celebrity, especially when it does come to pop stars and musicians that are in the limelight um, and how quickly their fall from grace can be. Um, But also, I love I love mockumentary stuff. I do, too. I'm just a sucker for it. And it's done so well here. I mean, I love... I mean, I loved the British office and the American office is, is fine, but it has some like really good bits in it. Um, and Parks and Rec is great. You found your new favorite show last night. Philomena Kunk. Oh, my God. <laughs> I've watched like five minutes of it, but I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> but I do. I agree. I like mockumentary stuff. I think it's funny. Um, do you know? Did you know this? You might have already known this. That. All of because there's a lot of quite well-known musicians who do like talking heads in this. Mm-hmm. So when they were mm-hmm. interviewed, the questions they were asked were about the Beastie Boys, oh, and their really? answers are, are about the Beastie Boys. That's so good. <laughs> that's so good. And so it comes across as a lot more genuine. I don't know if it's like every single one, but I think a lot of the ones where they're talking about how much they respect them and like them and. Yeah. How they are as a group. Because there's some that are talking about. Specifically about, um, what what was the band called? I don't, I don't know. All oh. I got in my brain is Boys For Now, which is just from Bob's <laughs> no. Yeah, what's their band's name? Jure? No, no, just kidding. No, that's Joseph Nipus Cats. I really want that sweater that they wear, though. Something boys. Style boys. 
<laughs> oh, right. With a Z? Yeah. Of course. Style boys. But it, it also made me think of not just TV shows, but like Best in Show. Really yeah. loved that. And I've only seen Spinal Tap once. I don't think you've ever seen it. I didn't realize you had ever seen it. I feel a little betrayed. I, I mean, a long time ago, and I barely remember it. I mean, I just remember the like crank it to 11 or whatever. I like to rewatch it, but that that is more closely tied to this because it's a faux music documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, so it might be worth revisiting. Also, I want to mention the the cast in this is stacked. Oh, yeah. Big time. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, you turn your head and then all of a sudden, what? Joan Cusack's here? Bill Hader's here? <laughs> yeah. Basically playing the same character he played in Hot Rod, which I loved. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> He's great in Hot Rod. Um, if you had to guess, and I know you love being asked to guess things. Yeah. Which band's concerts do you think the audience footage was taken from? Which real life band's concerts were they pulling that audience footage from? I'm going to assume that it's some sort of pop musician. So Katy Perry? Think more boys for now. Um, One Direction? Yeah. Yep. Oh, really? Yep. Nice. So would they do a thing then where maybe like before the show where it's like, hey, sign all these NDAs and then we're going to film a fakey concert and then the One Direction boys are going to come out here and melt your faces. I'm going to guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think when you go to a um, like a live comedy taping that's going to end up on Netflix, you have to sign agreements that you might end up being in the footage. Mm hmm. That's fun. But like, wouldn't that be fun if we went <laughs> if we went for like one show and then it's like, oh, by the way, they're filming this stupid Andy Samberg movie. Do you want to be part of it? It's like, do I have a choice now? Yeah, I wanted to see One Direction. Yeah. Harry Styles. <laughs> He's in that, right? He, he used wa- to be. Yeah, he was. Yeah. I don't think they're a thing anymore, but yeah. Oh yeah. He was that that was a Simon Cowell band? Yeah, I think it was kind of like um like a making the band. All like right. it was a reality show that they Oh, like O Town. Yeah, I think I think I could be totally wrong, but my mom's really into stuff like that, and I think she's given me the lowdown on how One Direction came to be. Um O Town's better than One Direction. Change my mind. Liquid Dreams, baby. Yuck. I don't know. So this like this movie, I laughed a lot in it. Like genuine laughter. But it's also like kind of hard to watch because you know that there are real people with so many millions of dollars out there who are Connor for real. Yes. And it's just like, here I am being like, probably shouldn't get a burger tonight. (laughs) Knowing that 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 is a very privileged position to be in. But then you're like, look at these freaking donut holes. (laughs) With all this money. Donut holes. We're in Canada. You can call them Timbits. <laughs> <laughs> Look at these friggin' Timbits. <laughs> anyway, that makes me shake my head a little bit because I'm just like, it's funny. But Connor for real's out there, you know? Oh, yeah. Like you, you, you just see it in, in many of the pop stars and the celebrities that have that, have that kind of fame. Of just again, I go back to the John Mulaney bit of when he met um, uh, Mick Jagger, 
at SNL where Mick Jagger would just would just be like Diet Coke and then one would appear in his hand. Like they're just living a different life than anybody. And I don't think I want that life, but I do want the money. Yeah. Show me my money. Our buddy Ashley would want the Diet Coke. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. <laughs> I love some foreshadowing in the show. <laughs> we're, set, we're setting Stay it all tuned. up. Stay yeah. tuned. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Pop star. Never stop. Never stopping. How to make you feel. Joyfully flabbergasted. It's like I was face palming while wearing mittens. <laughs> what? <laughs> Explain. It's so, like instead of like a hard slap on the face, it was like, oh, this is ridiculous. <laughs> That's <laughs> <laughs> All right. How about you? Uh, it just made me feel silly, goofy fun. And you know what? Sometimes that's what I want is just like silly, goofy fun. I think this was um, my last night before my last day of diploma marking. And I was like, I just, or no, was it the last night that I had done diploma marking? Just needed something easy. Yeah. Before the second semester was starting. So it, it fit the bill. Yeah. Happy, happy. Yeah. No, I'm glad we got to watch it together. Then you took us straight out of silly, goofy fun. Big time. Okay, I chose the 2007 sci-fi thriller Sunshine. It's directed by Danny Boyle, written by Alex Garland. Same duo behind 28 Days Later. Um, it stars, oh my God, I didn't even like verify the pronunciation of this. Killian Murphy? Great question. Gorsh, I hope so. I'm going to look it up. Killian Murphy. Okay, so it is Killian Murphy? Yeah. All right. <clears throat> It stars Killian Murphy as Robert Kappa, Rose Byrne as Cassie. Again, another kind of stacked cast here. Chris Evans as Mace, Cliff Curtis as Searle, Michelle Yeoh as Corazon, Hiroyuki Sanada as Kanata, and Benedict Wong, the Sorcerer Supreme himself, as Trey. Uh, synopsis is a team of international astronauts is sent on a dangerous mission to reignite the dying sun with a nuclear nuclear fission bomb in 2057. I picked this because the the recent remake of the game Dead Space just came out and it's my first time ever playing a Dead Space game. And while I know Dead Space is more of a spiritual successor to something like Alien and Aliens, I, it made me want to revisit this. I, I wanted to sit in the vibes of sunshine as opposed to alien. So that was my whole impetus for choosing this. What do you think of sunshine? This movie's so close. That's a really good way of putting it. It truly is. It's almost frustrating. <laughs> it's not almost frustrating. It, it is, is frustrating. frustrating. Like it is so close to being a phenomenal movie. Yeah. But it isn't. Yeah. There's so much I like about it. And I think I liked it more. I've seen this a few times because mm-hmm. I love 28 Days Later. Yeah. Um, there's more I liked about it in the past than I like about it now because the shots are so dated. Like it's so, whoa, we're the 2000s. Let's do a funky angle. Oh, oh, oh. Let's flash, flash, flash between things. Let's, oh, canted angle here. Zoom in. Let's stretch the image. (laughs) Stretch the image. Schmear it. Yeah. And it's just like, are you trying to make me motion sick? I mean, probably. And it's got that, that gosh darn, it's not the movie's fault, but that like late aughts sheen of just 
it's not HD yet. <laughs> so it's just a little, it's just a little fuzzy. It's just a little gnat, you know? You're, yeah, you're right. Like it has like, it's not even a tasteful film grain. It's like a, it's like a 2000s film yeah. grain. But I will say though, I totally agree with you, but there are some visual effects in this that are real sweet. Like sweet, real, like, like sweet. <laughs> <laughs> I think what you mean is sick. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 but they're like, real sweet they're just real sweeties no little sweetie images that they throw up on the screen no but like some of the the stuff especially the some of the shots of the sun and some of the the exterior shots of the ship and when stuff's going on outside in space itself but that's what i mean that's what's so frustrating about it because there is so much about it that's quite good mm-hmm. it's almost more frustrating to watch a movie that i mean honestly this movie is the movie in that it flies too close to the sun and it doesn't, and it gets burned. The wax fucking melts and down it goes. Like, you know what I mean? Like it. Oh my God. Oh, this is so stupid. I didn't even think about the fact that their ship is called. Oh, I did. And I was like, that's dumb. (laughs) Like, like, Ooh, clever Alex (laughs) Garland. (laughs) I mean, okay. Cause I, not that I think I'm like cool or anything because of this, but I really do love the myth of Icarus. Yeah. And I love um, Daedalus and Icarus stuff. Like I, I, I'm not breaking the mold here. I know lots of people like Icarus. Should we change the name of the show to Battleus Daedalus and Rattleus Daedalus? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And we'll talk, everything will be about like the maze (laughs) and how to get out of the maze and like the Minotaur. Minotaur is definitely bad dad. Um, <laughs> no, Minotaur, Minos is bad dad, thus has created the Minotaur, who will repeat the cycle of being a bad dad. All right, so Minotaur, don't <laughs> be a rocks. dad. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's stuff like that. It's like, Icarus, lower the blinders. And I'm like, <laughs> it's called Sunshine, your ship's name is Icarus. Like, let's be a little bit less hit the nail on the head here. On the nose? Yeah, and... I'm starting to think that maybe I don't like Alex Garland. Maybe I liked 28 Days Later and it convinced me I liked him. But I don't like Ex Machina as much as everybody else does. I remember watching it being like, I liked the initial. Here's the thing. Alex Garland hooks me at the beginning and then fucking falls flat on his face at the ending every single time. Even in 28 Days Later a little bit. I feel like he's a good idea guy. He's like me. He 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 comes up with a good idea, but maybe he's not the one that should execute it. But I mean, he didn't execute this one. Well, he wrote it. Yeah, but he didn't direct it. But he shouldn't have written the whole thing. He should have just been like, hey, wouldn't it be cool for you to reignite the sun? Great. Let's get Charlotte Wells. <laughs> but I mean, think of it. Like, so Ex Machina, every one of his movies that I've seen, and I haven't seen Annihilation enough times to really talk about it, mm. but it feels like, it's got this really nice slow pacing, this intricate, mysterious concept, some really interesting stuff about morality and reality. Um, and then all of a sudden he's like, oh, shit, I got to end this. And he just like cranks it up to 11 mm-hmm. and it turns really like plot based and really like, and there's a bad guy here who's going to do bad things. And then and then it's over. Like it happens in Ex Machina. It happens in 28 Days Later. It happens in this and like the ending of men is 
a sight to behold. Like, I'm glad I've seen it from a visual perspective, but it's not a good ending. Yeah. And I don't remember Annihilation, so I can't speak to that. And, like, I feel like his movies are such, like, they're movies that guys like. You know? Oh, and this is going to come back later, too. (laughs) Add that to the foreshadowing. But, like, I'm totally guilty of it. Like, this, especially, like, this just kind of reeks of being... Like a guy, like I like sci-fi guy, um, and I like when I first saw this, I remember loving it. Like I watched it a few times. I think I've only seen it because of you. That checks out. (laughs) I think I've only seen it as many times as I've seen it because of you. And Danny Boyle is that too, right? Like Train Spotting, 127 Hours. Yeah. I'm I'm terrified to ever revisit Slumdog Millionaire. Didn't win Best Picture. It did. I remember liking it when it came out, but I'm really nervous. I saw it at LaDuke Cinemas. I did too. Yeah. Um, something else I want to talk about is just like for as diverse as this cast is of like really kick-ass actors that do a, a really good job in this movie, I feel like they aren't given their just desserts. Yeah. There's something I'd love to say about that, but it would be a spoiler. But I, I agree. Interesting though... According to IMDb trivia, um, when Michelle Yeoh auditioned, Danny Boyle was like, holy shit, you're amazing, and said, you can have any role you want, and I'll adapt it to fit you. She's great in that. So, like, I if she had wanted to be Killian Murphy's character, or if she had wanted to be, like, the character of Kaneda, he would have rewritten it for her. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess she liked that nurturing, like, oh, she chose Corazon. Oh, fuck. Man, she would have been so good. As Killian Murphy's character. Oh, yeah. Like, just think, like, rethinking the movie and all of his scenes and what was really effective. Like, all the, yeah. I mean, this is a piece of IMDb trivia. Now, is it necessarily true? I don't know. Is it something Danny Boyle said in an interview later to sound good? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Or is it true and Michelle Yeoh really loved that character? Or is it true and Michelle Yeoh didn't feel like she could ask for a different character? But right, I, like who knows? But again, like having learned more about Michelle Yeoh just through the through the interviews and everything for everything everywhere, it just seems like she wasn't given a lot of roles like this that were just straight acting roles and not her having to yeah. do like so maybe she such a kung fu martial arts focus. Maybe she didn't want to play one of those characters that gets more into the action later on. Yeah, yeah, like, that's she's true. So, she's so good in this. She is. She's really, and she steals the scenes that she's in. Yeah. Same with Benedict Wan, I would say. Like, yeah, he has some really heartbreaking stuff in this. That's really great. But also, I really, (laughs) I really, I really like Searle, like Cliff Cliff Curtis, who was in Dr. Sleep. He was like the guy that helps Ewan McGregor, gets him a job. Sure. And and houses him. I believe you. I like him. But, um. He's the psychologist? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Who has some <laughs> the icky ickies? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, one thing I think that still works for this movie and holds up, and is also one of my favorite things, still to this day, is the soundtrack. I think the music in it is awesome. It's beautiful, and it was one of the first soundtracks that I sought out. It's just like this really soft synthy stuff, and it, it shows up in like Kick Ass. They play one of the pieces when like Hit Girls kicking ass. <laughs> Um, Speaking of movies, I don't want to revisit. <laughs> yes. Um, 
And uh, I love that. There are some really great icky picky That's what I mean. Effects. This movie is so close to being awesome. And it's almost like it's two different movies coming at each other from either end of the film. One's starting at the beginning and one's starting at the end. And then they just hit a collision course where they run into each other yeah. and they don't vibe. And I mean, what I read is that Alex Garland's original script was a lot more philosophical and it was a lot more focused on the like atheism and God stuff. And then Danny Boyle was like, we got to tone that down or it won't find an audience. So it really does sound like they had two different visions. And Danny Boyle was really interested in making a science fiction film for the movie theater. Mm-hmm. And Alex Garland was interested in doing what he likes to do, which is kind of this esoteric, moral, philosophical stuff. And they just didn't end up either of them getting fully what they wanted because they tried to compromise. Mm. And you see it in the finished product where it's like, it's an all right film. It's got good moments. It's not fantastic. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, no, you're right. It does still give me the heebie-jeebs about space, though. Oh, I hate that. There's a scene where, like, a couple of them go out onto a thing. I don't They're just in space. They're in space. Outside of the ship. Trying to fix stuff. And I was like, I want to (laughs) die. Yeah. (laughs) This is terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I was happy to revisit this, but uh, made us realize some truths about it and, yeah. and confront those truths. You I'm, still like it more than I do. Yeah. I think that's been true the whole time. Yeah. I make you feel. Like I'm mostly engaged, but at the end of it all, I'm disappointed. I agree with that. I was disappointed, but it also reaffirmed my fears of both space and of our planet dying. So thanks for that, Alex Garland, Danny Boyle. Love that. Love climate fear. <laughs> it's great. From climate fear to a completely different kind of fear. Yum, yum. <laughs> There's a couple times this week where I was like, okay, I have a couple movies in mind. Do you want a light one or do you want a heavy one? And you, every single time you said light, including this time, but we would have needed your laptop for it. And then you were like, screw it. I'm not getting my laptop. I'm not getting my laptop. Well, you had your laptop. You were like, I need the dongle. I'm not going back upstairs for <laughs> not, that. I'm getting a damn dongle. So we went with the heavier one. I've had this on my um, mind to rewatch for a while now. So I picked the 2016 film Raw. It's a drama horror film directed and written by Julia Ducarno. And it stars Garance Marie as Justin, Ella Rumpf as Alexia, and Rabba Nate Ufella as Adrian. Synopsis. (laughs) A young woman studying to be a vet develops a craving for human flesh. Tell you right in the synopsis, eh? All right. So we can get into it a little (laughs) bit. (laughs) (laughs) They do tell you right in the synopsis. Um, We've seen this before, and uh, we owned it because I think we, we had a free variable rate mortgage thing of like it's 5.99 to rent ten dollars to buy let's get it let's just buy it um what'd you think of raw for the second time oh man i was so excited as soon as the opening scene the scene started up i uh i was like i recognize this and this is the opening to a movie i really like (laughs) 
and then the title. I think you asked, is it Teton? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, no. Uh, then the title card slaps you in the face. And I was very excited. Uh, yeah, this movie rules. Um, Julia DeCarno is a master of tension and discomfort. And she maintained that from this and into Teton. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what she's got cooking next, but I'll go see that too. She's, I think she's somebody that's going to be really great to talk about maybe in conversation with the last film we watched this week as somebody who just has such a clear ability to tap into the horror of being human yeah, and particularly in an embodied way. Mm-hmm. Now she does that. I find um, in this, it's very horror, very like monster horror. And then in Teton, it's almost more like getting into kind of more sci-fi horror, mm-hmm. but her films feel very grounded in realism. Whereas yeah. the last film we watched um, this week, I feel like is a little bit more in that sci-fi suspension of disbelief territory what's real what's not yeah and this feels real but holy hell (laughs) it makes me want to revisit to town because i don't remember it super well we only saw it once in the theater Mm -hmm. but there are just some sequences in this with some of the ickiest stuff i have ever seen oh yeah it gives me the it gives me the rumbly grumblies and the tumbly there's a thing in this that's also in the um, American remake of The Ring. Mm. But then they take it 10 times further in this to the point that, like, you want to die. You're like, <laughs> can this just stop? Can this stop? Can it stop now, please? It's not stopping. When's it going to stop? Yeah, yeah. And, like, in oh. The Ring, it's pretty quick. It, and it's friggin' disgusting in The Ring, too. Mm-hmm. But, oh, man. When, when this movie is gross, it is really gross. Oh, yeah. But, uh, again... Testament to the practical effects. They look awesome. It's so, it's so good. They look awesome. And both in this and Titan, Julian DeCarnot has such a, like her films are beautiful. Oh, shot and executed so beautifully. Like there is a lyricism and a beauty to what's happening on the screen. And she plays with like rhythm so Mm. well to go from like soft to frenetic and sharp to mm-hmm. gentle like and she plays with that on the screen and she does such a good job of using this embodied horror to also get at like the ickiness of real stuff like in this film it's not just the body horror that gets me but it's like the hazing culture makes yeah. me feel sick to my stomach yeah oh, and man. none of that is in the realm of sci-fi or horror that, yeah. that is just it could be a straight realist movie about a first year at a veterinary college. Yeah. I mean, I never lived in dorms or or any sort of student housing, but I'm glad that A, I didn't, and B, that I was in art school. So <laughs> people don't typically haze in art school, so I didn't have to deal with any of that. I'm sure there's some art schools that have some mad hazing. <sighs> Probably, yeah. Whatever. I went to a really big, university if there is hazing it's probably in the dorms or in the sororities and fraternities that you have to like apply to be a part of yeah nobody was hazing me on campus i hate all of that shit Um, you don't wish we'd lived in the dorms hard pass thank you um i went to i went i went to the dorms once 
and the, the the hallways were just like lined with garbage and I wanted to crawl out of my skin. So, yeah. um, but I did want to say like just the way, yeah, that DeCorno films everything. And like you said, uses rhythm. I think that was really well put is it's so, it makes the film so engaging and it just pulls you in and you don't want to look away. Yeah, there's something about both this and Titan, but I am more drawn to this. If it's like a hereditary Midsommar thing of like, or glass onion knives out where it's like you like both, but there's just one that you're a little bit more drawn towards. Mm. For me, it's raw, but I, I do agree. like both of them. I agree. Um, but the weird thing about both of those films is like, as I'm watching it and even when it ends, I'm like, I don't think that's one of my favorite things I've ever seen, but then I can't get it out of my head. Yeah. And like from time to time, it just kind of creeps back into my head. Like sometimes a couple of months later, I'll just be like, oh Yeah. I liked, scene from Raw. I liked this a lot better on the second watch. Yeah, and I feel like we will with Titan as well. Because yeah. um, her films are really uncomfortable. And when you're feeling that discomfort and you don't know what's going to happen next, I think seeing it a second time and kind of being aware and seeing all the parts from the beginning yeah, and being prepared for it. I feel, yeah, I feel like the second watch brings you more into the lives of the characters a little mm. bit more and it's less of a focus on the ick and what could happen with the ick. I do have to say though, I don't know what this says about me, but I really like arty cannibal stuff. Yeah, There's not a lot uh, out there, but I was thinking about, I kind of Googled arty cannibal movies. Um, there's something about it that I both find so... engaging and like hypnotizing mm. and that also repulses me but i am intrigued by that repulsion i like i, I don't know what it is and i like so i'm thinking hannibal like the tv show mm. um bones and all like when it didn't have the carnival guy in it i was really into it trouble every day um, fresh like kind of all of these things where I'm like there's something about it like and, and so I'm not talking about like cannibal holocaust or like ones where it's just a straight horror movie but these ones where it's kind of a little bit more metaphorical and it's done in this kind of artful way mm -hmm. I I don't know I just really like it <laughs> I I'm the same way I, I totally agree. And I, I and I can't put my finger on what it is. Uh, is it just the fact that it's something that we would never do and we're not meant to do? But watching people do it in an artful way. Like the taboo of it? I don't know. I think it's But there's like, also, like, maybe there's this element of, like, people stink. So you like to see bad people. Well, I mean, I guess that would be more in Hannibal, but not in like Trouble Every Day or Bones and All or this. That's true. Like this feels more to me like this visceral depiction of like the desire to consume, to simultaneously consume, destroy, and make somebody else a part of you, mm -hmm. which is like, it's like a step further than like sex. Yeah. Right? It's this like raw, I mean raw, <laughs> right? <laughs> this um, animalistic, and, and I am really, I am really drawn to all kinds of art 
that seek to kind of break down the human animal human monster divide mm. and like think about what in us is animal yeah and so i think there is something inherent about that this, this like, does this really well yeah like what happens when like the feral part of us that is there but we have tamped down yeah when it's unleashed yeah it's like these from the time we're born it's this unspoken rule like i've never been told you don't eat people but we know that we don't eat people. <laughs> but as a kid, you're told not to bite, and kids bite all the time. Yeah. Do we, like is that the animal brain in us that's like, oh, I want to, I want to eat this other kids? But well, no, <laughs> <laughs> you are going so literal with this. I, as kids, we bite and scratch, defensively or offensively, and we're taught not to do that. Yeah. You can punch. You can use your words. You don't scratch. You don't bite. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, that's the thing, too, is just like in so many movies when people are like, for example, in movies where people are getting strangled and then like my first thought would be go for the eyes. But my no- dad taught me to do that. But nobody ever goes for the eyes. It's like, oh, I don't want to hurt you too bad. Well, people go for the eyes. <laughs> I'd go for the eyes. We've seen movies where they go for the eyes. Yeah. I I, I mean, always go for the eyes. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you, why do you think it's called Raw. Like, what does raw as a title mean to you once you've finished seeing the film? I feel like it's it's referring to us as humans and that we're, again, maybe I'm, I'm probably thinking really literally about this, but like the fact that she is eating humans in their raw form mm. um, and consuming them in their raw form and that that is just kind of how we as humans exist. Like we're all, we're all raw. Yeah. Not really deep or thoughtful, <laughs> but that's what I kind of interpret it as. What about you? Yeah, I think it's about, I mean, I think you've got that dual ability to understand it as like raw as in like raw flesh, but also raw as in like, like emotions can be raw a person can be raw when it's like you're tender and you're vulnerable and you're open to being wounded, right? It, like there's both a physical aspect of that in like raw meat or like a raw wound, but we can also feel raw. Well, and I think... She- and I think she is the whole film. She's she's like her professors are being rude to her. She's being hazed and she feels out of place. Her sister is like not great. Yeah. Like, I think part of it is about, like, the rawness of being a young adult trying to figure out who you are. That's where I was going to go. I, I I really like that. And I think that that's it, too. It's kind of this transition into adulthood. And you kind of raw as in kind of being new or fresh. and But in a way that, like, raw implies to me, like, so fragile. Like, mm-hmm. when skin is raw, if you touch it, it's going to hurt. Yeah. Like, it's there's no guard. There's no protection. Yeah. There's no shield from anything. And you're just kind of open. And There's a vulnerability to it. That's it, yeah. So it's really interesting. I just wanted to read a couple um, things I've read Julia DeCarno say about her work. And I thought she clearly has such a insight into why she does what she does, which I love. Mm. Um, So I read that uh, there's a 
culture writer uh, named Z- uh, Xavier Aldana Reyes, who has called or categorized the work that Julia de Carnot does as gothic horror heroinism, mm. um, characterized by graphic body horror. Definitely has graphic body horror. But uh, de Carnot, I guess, growing up, both of her parents were doctors. And she has said that as a young child, she developed a, quote, flesh fascination. Ooh, alliteration. <laughs> and you can totally see that in her work. But she also has said that she's interested in how her films ask the question of what it means to be human. Like that, she says, is at the core of her work. Mm-hmm. And then I have a quote from her where she says, you have to accept some parts of us that are hard to watch, hard to acknowledge because it is in us and because it's scary. There's an element of monstro- monstrosity in teenage years that is an incredibly enduring and real. Yeah, I think that's really, I think that's really good because I, I, it's so funny because I feel like it's media for me that helps me gain a better understanding. I mean, media and going to therapy, but that gives me a better understanding of who I am, how to kind of interact with the world, how I want to present myself to the world. But like in a physical sense, I don't fully like, I don't understand my body. I don't know why certain things happen within it or why I feel certain ways or why certain things move a certain way. Like it's so funny that your body can feel like such a unfamiliar or foreign, (laughs) like a foreign element to yourself. Yeah. So having this kind of fascination, I like that. I like that a lot of flesh fascination. She uses that to then mirror parts of the human psyche that we don't want to acknowledge or that we don't understand yeah same kind of yeah same kind of thing like just this unfamiliarity that exists within yourself and about others i like that (laughs) how does raw make you feel (laughs) um before i answer that question i also just want to mention that the leads very babely you think alexi is babely too is that the sister? Yeah. Is that who you're talking about? Or are you talking about the... Uh, who both, are you talking about? Both. both. Well, like, all well, three. Talking, oh. All three. There's a scene with the sister's butt that makes me uncomfortable, so I don't like her. Like uncomfortable Forrest Gump Ginny's butt? Yeah. Kind of thing? I got But you. I do have a big old crush on Garon's mouth. Really? Yeah. Yeah. What else has she been in? Titan. I don't uh, think we've seen her in anything uh, else. Yeah. Um, how to make me feel? It made me grateful I never lived in college dorms. <laughs> That's it? Yeah. I mean, on top of also just like feeling a newfound respect for this movie. Um, because it does freaking rule. Yeah. I'm really glad I never lived in college dorms. And after you watch this movie, you'll you'll understand. <laughs> you? Uh it makes me feel compelled in the sickest and the best way. Nice. Sick. Love it. Next one. My mystery movie pick. I chose the 2005 comedy slash drama Me and You and Everyone We Know. It was written and directed by Miranda July. It stars John Hawks as Richard, Miranda July as Christine, Miles Thompson as Peter, Brandon Ratcliffe as Robbie, and Brad William Heinke as Andrew. Synopsis is a lonely shoe salesman 
and an eccentric performance artist struggle to connect in this unique take on contemporary life. So you had seen this movie when you were around closer to when it came out. Yeah, several times I've seen it. Uh, And you talked about it a lot, like not just early in our relationship, but I feel like early on in our friendship. Um, And you showed me the kind of infamous back and forth forever scene. And that's all I knew about this. (laughs) I didn't realize that, that I'd never had you watch the actual movie. Yeah. So I had never seen it up until this point, but I knew that you had seen it and really liked it. Yeah, we own it. Yeah. (laughs) So what do you think of it? Well, first of all, I didn't realize you had never seen it. Yeah, we were like three quarters of the way through the movie and I made some comment. You're like, oh, you've never seen this? <laughs> <laughs> you're like, no, you just showed me that one scene. I was like, checks out. Um, <laughs> I really liked Miranda July when I was in high school. Um, and I found a lot of artists, writers that I followed for a long time and still follow now when I worked at a bookstore in high school because I'd be bored. I worked at a bookstore at the airport, so there'd be big stretches of time where no one came in and you, therefore they didn't have a lot of people on staff working like a midnight shift, red eye shift when I would just kind of walk around and look at the books and we'd see what came in. And Miranda July had a collection of short stories called No One Belongs Here More Than You, which is an excellent title. I love words. And the book was just all yellow with that title on the front. And I, when I worked at the bookstore and I could just grab a book and read it, not pay any money for it, and then put it back on the shelf, um, I would kind of give things a go if the cover intrigued me. The opposite of don't judge a book by its cover. <laughs> um, and I read it and I loved it. And so I started kind of just following her projects. She's done a lot of really interesting like art projects that... You know, like, I feel like there was this in in the aughts, like, during, like, the time of post-secret and, like, things like that. Mm-hmm. A lot of this, like, mail-in stuff or collecting or observing other people and creating art out of it. And she did a lot of work like that. Like, she had an art project called Learning to Love You More that I really liked. Um, she did a lot of performance art. I love performance art or, like, found art. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she did a lot of that. And so, like, she was on my radar when this film came out. Mm-hmm. And so I watched it. God, you're so cool. I know. (laughs) Thank you. But I think it's interesting because like you kind of asked me when the film was done. So how did you see this? It's not like she was this big name person. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I look back and I think I've always had a desire to find the the women or the femme or the queer voices within the art I already liked. Mm. Like, I look at the musicians I was listening to that, like, kind of catapulted to my favorites, and they tended to be women and queer folk, right? And and the writers and and that, where I'd be like, I'm sick of Jack Kerouac, where are the women? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You know, where I'm sick of Chuck Palahniuk, where are the women? I'm sick of Wes Anderson, where are the women? And I don't think I was consciously doing that. Mm-hmm. But I look back and I think of, you know, I was looking for artists that reflected my life experience a little bit more. Um, And now saying that a lot of them were white. Mm -hmm. And, and now I think you and I both try really hard to make sure that we are not only consuming art or engaging with art that is by people who look like us or Mm -hmm. identify like us and 
we want to make sure that we're uplifting other voices too and, and engaging with art by other folks. Um, but I am proud of the fact that I sought out this other art subconsciously or not. Mm-hmm. And I think Miranda July is a big part of that. And I like, I followed her all the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, um, and I didn't know until we rewatched this now and I started reading up on it that like she's been really denigrated by a lot of critics and viewers. Oh, yeah. Diving into the Letterboxd reviews after watching this was not a fun time. There was a lot of really nasty shit said to her, said about her and about this movie, which and you brought up you brought this up and i think it's totally valid is like this is a for all intents and purposes this is a quirky quirk fest mm-hmm. which i love i mm-hmm. i freaking i'm a sucker for these kinds of movies so before we get into kind of the misogyny inherent in that cuz i have um something from wikipedia i want to read and then i have a review from um somebody that i want to read i want to like kind of put that aside because Neither of us actually knew that about how her work has been interpreted until after we finished the film. Yeah. I'd seen it many times. I've been following her work a lot. I wrote essays on her in university. Like mm-hmm. she's somebody I just really, really like. Um, and I guess I never was looking at the discourse around her. I was just like, I like her work. What did you think of the film? Like independent of that. I th- I thought it was great. I mean, like I said, quirky quirk fest i love it and i also wanted to just mention not to not to just bring a dude into this but um her her partner in real life is mike mills who mm-hmm. i've mentioned is one of my favorite directors they weren't together when she made this though they met at i think sundance or they met at a film festival when she was promoting this film um yes but i wanted to say that he does a lot of the graphic design for his her book covers so, oh, her book covers are great. Yeah, because it's super simple. It's just typography yeah. for the most part. So <laughs> I have them all. They're in my office. <laughs> so that's uh, I think that's very cool that you gravitate towards her. I mean, I love her book covers too. But Mike Mills, um, I, I, yeah, I really, I really like this. Like, I, I think that the lens that she chooses to focus on the different age groups of people throughout it, and some of the different things that come up within these different age groups, and the things people are seeking is I, f- I feel like it's really, sm- it's really smart. Some of it's really fucking funny. Yeah. It's um, a funny movie, but yeah. it also has that, um, that melancholy of like a little miss sunshine. Yeah. Yeah. And of like the, it's funny and it's quirky, but it's also really sad. Yeah. Th- there's just like this light heaviness that yeah. kind of sits in your heart slash stomach the whole time. And I want to say, like, I said this to you afterward. Usually when John Hawks is in a movie, he's kind of playing a grosso Marx. Yeah, like in um, that Martha, Mercy, Mae Marlene. Yeah, like he's just kind of a gross character. And this was the first movie where I was like, he's not that. And it was, he played this character really well of just being kind of this person that is kind of in this melancholic state where there is this happiness and this tenderness to him, but... There's also just this feeling of being lost, mm-hmm. which is also mirrored by Christine. And I think um, there is this ultimate in all of Miranda July's work that I've seen, and I haven't seen her. I haven't seen her other two films, The Future, 
and Kajillionaire, but I have read all of her. Well, I have like engaged with all of her art projects. Like I have the collections, mm-hmm. um, I even like the newer ones. There is a fundamental hopefulness in in her work. Yeah. Of like, yes, the world is sad and it's heavy and it's weird, but like what matters is the connections that we form within that loneliness, within that weirdness, within that ultimate isolation of this world that when we can find a connection, even if it's ephemeral, even if it's temporary, yeah, those are the moments that matter. And I think yeah. that's a theme that stretches through all of her work and it's something I'm really drawn to. Yeah, same. That's what really works for me in this film. And in a lot of the stuff that I like are those unique connections that happen between people. Um, and I, I feel, I feel that throughout this, throughout this whole film and the characters and something else I'll say just in general about Miranda July. I, I love her. I love her voice, both literally and what's on the page. I mean, we kind of wax poetic about it when we watch fire of love, which she narrates like her delivery and just the cadence of her voice and the timbre of it just does it for me. It's, it's so lovely. It's two things about that. One is when the movie started, I thought it was Fire of Love. And I'm like, we're watching this again already? Hell yeah. Because um, the movie opens with an image, uh, like a silhouette of two people and like a sunset in the background. And I was like, is, I don't think this is Fire of Love, but it feels like it could be. And like her voice just instantly, right? Mm. Um, and the second thing is a lot of people criticized her narration of Fire of Love and thought it was boring. Oh my God. And I'm just like, I wake up her voice. I love it. I would listen to her read anything and everything. She can do every audiobook. Yeah. Ever. And I, I, <laughs> so I guess that's a matter of preference. But yeah. I really like her voice. I'm, and, and I was just like, after having seen Fire of Love and loving it so much, going back to this thing that I loved, this film that I really liked when I was a teenager. And being like, oh man, yeah, her voice is so great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and that's both her voices and like her literal physical voice when she speaks, but also like the voice that carries through her work. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I mean, she also wrote one of the best sequences of dialogue that's ever been written in the back and <laughs> back forth. Back and forth forever. forever. Um, it's worth the price of admission just for that scene, honestly. And if you don't find it funny, you're not our kind of people. Yeah. Sadly, sadly. Yeah. Um, okay. Do we want to get into the heavy heavies about the discourse yeah. about this so and Miranda July? I'll start with some stuff I read on Wikipedia, which was, uh, I'm just going to quote the Wikipedia page. So July has often received criticism for being too niche or trying too hard to seem quirky. According to New York Times, quote, July has come to personify everything infuriating about the Etsy shopping, Wes Anderson quoting, McSweeney's reading, coastal living category of upscale urban bohemia that flourished in the odds. She's often lumped in with directors like Wes Anderson and Noah Baumbach, but she says she gets more pushback than them due to her films being emotional and feminine. She's often called precious and twee. She says that because she is a female filmmaker, she's often labeled self-obsessed. She says, quote, yes, it's pretty clear that whimsical is a diminishing word. I almost think asking the question is like I'm being asked to gossip about myself. I think it's kind of a female thing being asked to gossip about yourself. And I think maybe I'm done with that. Mm-hmm. So first of all, I like 
fuck the New York Times with this Etsy shopping, McSweeney's reading. Like, this brings me back to, it was really cool in the mid to late aughts to make fun of people for being a hipster. Yeah. And that happened to us a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, we were, we were, we are these people. Yeah. Um, but I remember that this like this way that people would look at us and be like, oh, look at your hipster toque, look at your hipster sweater. And that's kind of gone gone away. But I remember like our, our family. Like, oh, yeah. just I, like, like using hipster in this like denigrating tone. Well, even like I have this very distinct memory. I'll never forget of my very good friend at the time came to visit me at work and like we both were hipster chic so we wore like the skinny pants still wear the skinny pants and one of my coworkers just laid into him about like why do you wear such skinny pants and i remember like just seeing the look on his face at, like after the conversation concluded and he's just like i just like wearing what i wear yeah i, I could see like that sense of defeat like and i just like, i never understood coming for people that way and that was very much the attitude that is what you just read and what the outlook was on people that like stuff like this. So two things to say about that. First, just let people enjoy things. Like this is happening with the discourse around Skinamarink. It is totally fine to not like Skinamarink. I 100% get why people wouldn't like it. But if someone did, don't tell them they're lying. Yeah. Or don't tell them they're dumb. Like let people enjoy things. If the thing that they're enjoying isn't a harmful thing, who cares? Yeah. This after I'm just like, I just laid it to people that don't like listening to Miranda July's <laughs> narrations. I mean, they're just wrong. But. Yeah. But what I mean more is like, don't, we're being silly about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the second thing is, it's important for us to make a distinction between what's being said about general hipster critique or whatever, and the misogyny inherent in the criticism of Miranda July when it's cool to like Wes Anderson. Yes. So this is where I want to read a review that says it better than I could from Letterboxd. So this is from previously aforementioned Letterboxd um, reviewer Emily Rugburn, who I just deeply respect and who takes no shit and writes exactly what they're thinking. And I love that. Spoiler alert. This is really good. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Brilliant. So they like this movie. <laughs> I gave it 4.5 4. out of 5. And this is their review. Let me give you an example of my own misogyny before I ask you to think about your own potential misogyny. I've never liked the movie Amelie. I didn't like it before I saw it, and I didn't like it after I saw it. And the reason I didn't like it before I saw it was because of something about the look on Audrey Tetu's face on the poster. Something about her face. Something about her hairstyle. Just bugged me. Made me roll my eyes. It was a face on a poster. How can there be any reason for my reaction other than misogyny? It was a face on a fucking poster. And I just feel like there are people of multiple genders out there who react negatively to this film, me and you and everyone we know, but love Wes Anderson and Spike Jones and Charlie Kaufman and Todd Salons and Terry Zwigoff and Richard Linklater and Paul Thomas Anderson and Edgar Wright and Cameron Crowe and the Coen brothers. Hell, some of them even still like Garden State. And I just don't see how we could cite any possible reason for that other than misogyny. 
This movie is no more perverse than Ghost World or Happiness, no more hard on the sleeve than Almost Famous, no more whimsical than anything by Wes Anderson, no more people saying uncomfortable things to each other than Magnolia, no more so indie it hurts than Zach Braff's aforementioned needle drop weep fest, no more look at how lonely we are on these phones than her. There's nothing to hate so intensely. If you've one starred all those others, all those movies I just mentioned, then sure, I could understand hating this. But if you praise all those movies and had issues with this, I'm just saying. There are only a handful of instances where I've watched a movie for the first time well after it was released and had thoughts like, holy shit, this was so ahead of its time. Like she nailed it. She saw the future. She was on it before any of us. I wish there weren't plot threads involving inappropriate shit between adults and kids, hence the half star missing. Aside from that, I thought it was virtuosic and beautiful. It's really well put and yeah. and really, really well encompasses the discourse that we saw, or at least I saw going into the reviews on Letterboxd about, about this, like, and it's so nasty. Like it's a one star and then a, some sort of curt rambling about how, how terrible this film is. And that's the, you know, when it comes to, a couple of things I really appreciate about this review. One is the reflection part of it because yes, I think you and I have both had moments where we've had to be like, whoa, why do I dislike that so intensely? Mm-hmm. And that's okay. It's okay to have moments where you suck mm-hmm. if you reflect on those and grow, right? Um, and I think it's you know important to have that moment where it's like, yeah, if you hate, if you one-starred, Grand Budapest Hotel and Fargo and um, Garden State and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and Shaun of the Dead and then sure, yeah, hate this. Mm -hmm. But if you love all of that and you hate this, that doesn't really square because it's, I think it's just as good as all of those. Yeah. And And the thing is, is a lot of those films that came out around the same time probably haven't aged as well as this film has yeah i mean i think that it's really i mean there's a degree to which i could see people feeling uncomfortable miranda july puts a lot about sex um in ways that are kind of icky yeah yeah i think icky in a different way than raw like icky in a we're ashamed Mm. and we don't want to acknowledge and I, i read a quote that she had um speaking about her own own work and how like sex is a part of a lot of her work. And she said, um, she quote uses like the plots around sex as both a sudden surprise and a way to illuminate the inner lives of characters. It includes shame and humiliation and fantasies and longing. It's so dense with the kinds of things I'm interested in. Like that's why sex is this thing that she looks at in her films. Mm. But her is like that. Yeah. Like if you can watch the scene where Joaquin Phoenix has sex with a Siri mm-hmm. and like that movie, then what's the problem here, right? Yeah. So I don't know. I It was so lovely to revisit this movie and be like, I like cool stuff. And then so honestly devastating to be like, right, but other people wouldn't have thought this was cool because she's a woman. Well, and what makes that even more heartbreaking is the stuff you said at the very beginning of introing this movie of you were searching 
for voices and people, filmmakers that you could see yourself in mm-hmm. or that you could relate to. And this and Miranda July was that for you. And then to see it so belittled by, <laughs> by film people, by reviewers, by the community that so easily accepts so many other things made by men that are of the same caliber, if not a little bit worse. It's just such a like bubble pop moment. So Mm. we used to talk about this a lot and I still do use this wording a lot. Um, I think you and I do, do say this, but we talked about this a lot when I was in my gender studies degree about like you're around these like-minded people all the time and you kind of forget that the world isn't just made up of these like-minded people. And then all of a sudden you go into a space or you read something on the news or you have dinner with your family and it's like your bubble pops. Yeah. Um, and I think really it hard. can be like that. Like I, I mean, I, I feel friggin' thankful as hell. I follow over a hundred people on Letterboxd. All the people I follow like this movie. Mm-hmm. So I've curated a collection of people who aren't dinguses. Yeah. And every once in a while, we don't agree on things. Lots of people didn't like Skin and Marink. Lots of people didn't like Broker. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be sad about that, but they're not being like racist assholes for not liking Broker. They just didn't <laughs> yeah. like the movie, and that's fine, right? If there's a reason you didn't like the movie, that's just about subjective perception of art. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel thankful that when I look at the reviews from the people I follow, for me and you and everyone we know, even when they didn't like it, it's not about Miranda July. Um, and a lot of them do like it or like it as much as they like Isle of Dogs, right? Yeah. Um, but it's a bubble pop moment of the world sucked. It still sucks and we have a long way to go. Mm -hmm. Um, but if Miranda July has taught me anything, it's even within that crap fest, we find connection and we do the best we can. That's that's really well put. Yeah. Those bubble pop moments they're really hard. They're really they're especially hard when like you've said like not even just on social media but just in your life you've kind of curated the the life and and the people in your life that won't pop that bubble mm-hmm. and that are like-minded and or if are, they do are willing to have a conversation about it. Yeah, and there's reflection and there's growth that can happen within the the little life that you've curated. And then when somebody comes in and wants to so badly pop your bubble, it's like, oh, right, the world, pee-pee poo-poo. Yeah. I want to talk about one really positive thing so that this movie doesn't just get taken over by the pee-pee poo-poo of the world. The score is amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like the, the score in this film is one of those things that just makes me feel that way I love to feel, which is warm and sad and human and vulnerable and melancholic all at the same time yeah oh it's so good yeah there's like i said at the beginning this is such a great story about people and different groups of people at different ages of people and just what it means to be people in this world this does what crash was trying to do (laughs) not the cronenberg one the bullshit that won the oscar so much better yeah like about human, I, I just, I love that this movie is about the ephemerality of human connection. Like how many times in your life have you had a, a little brief encounter with someone that's not in your, or, or a little bit longer of an encounter 
with someone who's not in your life anymore, but it was a special moment. Yeah. And this film captures that. And I mean, that's, I think, what a lot of Miranda July's work captures is these moments, fleeting moments of connection that keep our humanity alive. And the fact that people want to take that humanity from this film because they're sexist jerks. Mm-hmm. And maybe don't even realize that they're sexist jerks. Mm-hmm. I've been there. I've been subconsciously sexist, racist, ableist, fat phobic, all the things. But when somebody asks you, as Emily Rugburn's review does so well, to stop and reflect on that, mm-hmm. I think that there's a lot of positive that can come out of that. Yeah. If you five starred licorice pizza and one starred this, then I don't like you. <laughs> <laughs> You unless you're it. willing to have a conversation with me <laughs> yeah unless you're willing to reflect and grow don't call me <laughs> don't call me <laughs> um that's really well take put. me off your speed dial that was really well put I, I loved i loved everything that you said and what you brought to the table and thank you for emily rugburn for letting us share that review and being so thoughtful and reflective in that because i think it encompassed everything that i was fe- thinking and feeling post-movie how did this make you feel? Both in watching the movie, in sharing it with you for the first time, and in doing this reflection on the discourse, it just made me feel really prideful of the art I loved as a teen. Mm. Like proud of myself. Yeah. For the work that I liked and still like and still champion. And for like wanting for young little Kylie for wanting to seek out these kinds of things and knowing or maybe not having the words for wanting to find voices that represented who you are. I think that's Don't get important. me wrong. I still liked Almost Famous. <laughs> yeah. <I mean. laughs> and Garden State. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Garden but. State was like my go-to, like, this is my favorite movie. I got to show you a movie. It's going to change your life. <laughs> <laughs> Zach Braff, baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it made me feel charmed and able to embrace my love for quirky quirkiness. And it's made me excited to, like, there's been multiple nights where I've considered throwing on Congillionaire or The Future, but it it brought me back to this. I wanted to I wanted to see this because I knew that this was important to you, and I had never seen it. So That's where it began, I'm really excited to uh, dive even further into Miranda July's films. That was long, but I think it was good. It was really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for listening, people. Yeah. Oh, it's me. It feels like that should have been me. It's like when I picked Hot Rod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so many mystery movie picks. We were going to go to two movies in the theater this week, and then I said I was too tired. We were going to go see that Jesse Eisenberg movie, and then we were going to go see Tusk. <laughs> yeah. I think we're good. I, I think, think we're we, okay. I feel like we watched better movies than those. I agree. Tusk would have been fun, but... So, uh, I have a stack of movies I took out from the library that have been like on my watch list for a while but they aren't available on streaming services that we already have I picked the 2014 comedy drama romance we were into romance this week mm-hmm. called Comet maybe this is pre-Valentine's Day romance oh man we're getting so romantic so Comet stars nope did I say who directed and wrote it nope nope so Start again. Comet was directed and written by Sam Esmail, 
Uh, it stars Justin Long as Dell and Emmy Rossum as Kimberly. The synopsis is set in a parallel universe. Comet bounces back and forth over the course of an unlikely but perfectly paired couple's six-year relationship. I love Justin Long. I love Sam Esmail. I have never watched Emmy Rossum in anything else, but she's married to Sam Esmail, so she's probably pretty cool. Um, what do you think of Comet? I never heard of this, but I love the work that Sam Esmail did on Mr. Robot. Yeah. Um, it's very funny. This movie started, and before the title card came, I was like, what is this? And I think you were like, I bet you can guess who made this look just from the shot that's on screen right now. But then you didn't say anything. No, because I didn't want to. I didn't want to sound stupid. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in my head, I was like, "This looks like Sam Esmail." <laughs> Sam Esmail is real good with negative space in his shots. Yeah, he loves like, to put a character in the bottom right-hand corner, or just like they're they're almost off-screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, but I freaking love that. It just. I feel like, I mean, to just get into the technical stuff I love about that, like, I feel like it emphasizes the importance of place while also drawing even more focus to the character that's on screen. And I do think, so what was cool about this film is we love Mr. Robot. Yeah, so good. Like, Mr. Robot is one of my favorite things in the entire world. I think it's one of the best pieces of art ever made. Um, I can't wait to rewatch it again and again. We've watched it in full twice kind of like two and a half times because I think when we picked it back up when it was on air, yeah. we rewatched the first three seasons in prep for season four. Also, what a gift that the fourth season is the best season of the whole series. Oh, yeah. So it just gets better and better. And it's set at Christmas, so you can watch it as a Christmas thing. There you go. It's perfect. Bing, bang, boom. So I love, I love, love, love Mr. Robot and getting to see the shades of Mr. Robot in this mm-hmm. was really cool. Yeah. This is not as good as Mr. Robot, <laughs> but you see him working out the things. I mean, I, I think I said this when the movie was over, like this was his first film and then he went straight from this to Mr. Robot. What that the, is phenomenal. Fuck? And like, this is pretty good. It's not yeah. amazing, but it's good. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. I can, I can see this came out in 2014. I can see 24 year old me being head over heels for this yeah this was funny because after just talking about me and you and everyone we know i feel like if this had come out in the mid-aughts yeah. i would have been obsessed with it yeah it's like you coming over you want to watch comet and we probably would have seen it because we were working at bookstores and movie theaters and blockbusters and that kind of thing where we would watch and read things that we would never have found out about if we weren't working at those places true right like i feel like now it's harder for me to take a chance on something like a me and you and everyone we know because I'm not just randomly coming across it and being like, cool cover. I'll yeah. read the first 10 pages and then put it back on the shelf if I don't like it. Yeah. Right? Um, so I think if like this had been in that time, we would have loved it. This like, would have gone yeah. right in there with Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And yeah. then we would have been on Mr. Robot the day it came out because we would have been like, that's the guy that made Comet. <laughs> yeah. Hundred uh, percent. But we were twenty four when this came out, not fifteen. Yes. Um, which is weird. It feels like it should have come out ten years earlier. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> but it's so funny because it, it's such a. I mean, not only does the film itself play with time, but the feeling of the film, like you're saying, it came out when we were twenty four. Yet it feels like it. It 
could have come out in the arts, but yet the way that Sam Esmail Esmail films and frames and the cinematography of this feels even further ahead of its time. It feels time. contemporary and fresh and innovative. Yeah, yeah which is just such <laughs> a mindfuck of time, yeah. but so good. Yeah. Um, the, the thing is, though, is the not to go straight to poo-pooing this at all, because I'm not. Like, this is not a bad movie, but it does start to lean into the feelings I get when thinking about 500 Days of Summer a little bit. Yeah, I, I actually saw a lot of people saying this is what 500 Days of Summer wanted to be. And I think there are, I do think the character of Kimberly is given more respect and agency for her side of things yeah. than Summer is in 500 Days of Summer. I mean, look at that. 500 Days of Summer, the very beginning of it, set like it's like except for you, bitch, yeah, or yeah. whatever, right? Like yeah, yeah. we are primed from the opening to think Summer's an asshole. And we're 100% on Joseph Gordon-Levitt's the whole, side. The whole yeah. time, right? Whereas this, I mean, the character of Dell, Justin Long's character, certainly the protagonist. But I do feel like we are kind of primed from the get-go to be like, he's a bit of an asshole. Yeah. Um, and to see where Kimberly's coming from. And I do think the ending of this film is quite open to interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I did see people saying, like, this is actually succeeding at what 500 days of summer at least according to joseph gordon levitt thought it was trying to do but yeah. i don't think the director director was trying to do what joseph gordon levitt says he was <laughs> trying to do i think he meant that bitch at the beginning of the movie yeah. and i think he meant for us to hate summer and think that she was an asshole yeah but it did give me a little bit of the, the those feelings yeah um like I, I agree with you. Like I'm never, I never felt like I was 100 percent behind Dell and the things he was saying, and and I, I just don't relate to him as a character and the kind of person that he is and the kind of person he represents. There are shades of Elliot from not you, Elliot, but Elliot from Mr. Robot in him, though. Oh yeah, some of the stuff he says, I'm just like, oh man, Sam Esmail has thoughts about <laughs> stuff that he likes to reiterate. He sure does. Um, and uh. But yeah, the I aside from that, man, the I am I'm with you. I love Justin Long. But the chemistry between him and Emmy Rossum in this was very well done. And I thought the way that they played off each other and having to do it through different times, um, or throughout time was really well done in just showing the kind of stages of a relationship, especially the relationship between two people that have these kinds of personalities, I thought was really well executed. Um, even though a lot of it was almost off frame, that made it even cooler. <laughs> I mean, this does feel like Blue Valentine by way of 500 Days of Summer. You know what I mean? Like it, it is, I do feel like it has something more mature to say Yes. about how relationships can fail and how we can hurt each other and how our own insecurities can get in the way of truly connecting with someone. Mm -hmm. um, but it does it kind of by way of that quirkier, more hipster vibe. But then also it has this layer of like quite artful filmmaking. Yeah. <laughs> so it's very, it is. It's very strange because yeah. it, it has this like pushing daisies 500 Days of Summer, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind feel, but then it also has this Mr. Robot uh, prime, like premium television 
sleek indie feel and it does the the actual themes and stuff that's being explored feels a little bit more complex mm-hmm. than some of those aughts things yeah <laughs> but it just doesn't quite it's 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 very cognitive dissonancy yeah it's it, it, the whole thing like i said it's just kind of a bit of a mind trip because of all the other things that we've seen and the things that came before it and then the things that have come after it that it all just kind of gets thrown into a blender in your brain yeah but um brain blender but nice. like again not to just you know one-to-one compare this to 500 days of summer but there it feels like as an audience i'm pushed to have more reflection points i mean the character of yes. dell he there's so many moments throughout this where he makes a promise of change or yeah. reflection um, that ultimately never come to fruition. And even in the opening scene, he's called out by, I think, more than one character for being an asshole. Yeah. And we're and I think we're meant to see that, not be like, oh, ha, 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 he's so quirky. I think we're meant to be like, he is a bit of an asshole. Yeah. Whereas in 500 Days of Summer, it's just like he's an asshole, but like he's a protagonist. So yeah. like that's the, and they said bitch at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> so we love that. <laughs> um, I do want to talk about this is another one that like. If you look at the Letterboxd reviews, they're very split, like lots of people really hate this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people talk about how the dialogue is so pretentious and nobody talks that way. And I'm like, yeah, true. But like, but I like it. <laughs> Yeah, like that's just it. I mean, I, I, I like it. Like, I don't, I mean, I do love mumblecore shit, but also I like when shit's a little snazzy. <laughs> I mean, I'm such a, I'm such a reader. No shit. I'm an oh, English teacher. man. Well, look out. We got a reader. We got a reader in the house. <laughs> um, so I actually quite like dialogue that feels like it could be in a book. Yeah. Um, I like narrative voice. Uh, so I'm into it, and it feels it feels elevated. It feels like there's a degree to which, and I think it fits in the context of this film where reality is never quite anchored. That the conversations feel more than right. Like there's a dreamlike quality, um, uh, unmoored in time and space quality, and I think the dialogue mm. pairs well with that. In yeah. terms of the um, atmosphere it creates. That's made me think of, you know, you see that come up a lot with movies like this of like, nobody talks like this. But where is that? Where is the line drawn of where that's allowed and where that's not allowed? I think it's just about whether someone liked the movie or not. <laughs> I think you're totally right. Because I mean, like. Because I think nobody talks like they talk in The Whale. I don't think anybody talks like how they talk in everything everywhere but like yeah it's it but but it's okay there it's not okay here i think here they're talking about the like it's pretentious it's like they're musing on the world and i'm like i sometimes talk like that (laughs) (laughs) i'm pretentious yeah i throw in a big word because i can (laughs) (laughs) because i'm smart uh i want to say quickly i love justin long yeah, I mean, I already said it too, but he he's a really good actor because he can play the sweetest, like you can, he can play Jess's boyfriend in New Girl and be like the sweetest, most naive guy, but then he can be a total asshole in like Barbarian. Or, the, or even this, he's real doinky. 
Yeah, I just, I love him. I love him in horror movies. I saw someone on Reddit say we should call him a Scream King, and I agree. Um, I love him in New Girl. I love him in Kevin Smith stuff. I think he's very cute. Do you know what's really funny is that would we have technically subbed one Justin Long movie for another Justin Long movie on this night? Because we would have seen Tusk. We would have, yeah. (laughs) No, I think it was Friday. I think we watched this on Friday. Oh, okay. But yeah. We I wasn't getting, thinking about that. We were going to get our Justin Long like, fix no matter what. The How he looks in the first scene of the movie. His little beanie. His little beanie and his like army jacket green. I'm just like, oh, I'm in love. I feel like you had that exact same outfit. <laughs> what does that say about me? What does it say about <laughs> me? <laughs> <laughs> we're both in love with Justin Long. Pretty much. But I thought it was absolute slander that he says he's not attractive multiple times in this and calls himself a C minus. And I'm like, excuse me, you were a, a very handsome man. Um, <laughs> you're very beautiful. You gotta said that like Moira Rose. <laughs> very handsome, handsome man. man. Um, I love him. I really love him. I said before we started the movie that like I, I, I could go for trying to make him my most watched actor of the year. But then I looked at what else he's been in, and he hasn't been in enough good movies. I'm not rewatching like accepted. I won't rewatch Jeepers Creepers because the director is a pedophile or an abuser. Um, I don't think I can bring myself to rewatch like all the Kevin Smith movies. So Mm -hmm. I don't think Justin Long will be my most watched actor of the year. But But I am always excited when he shows up on screen. Yeah. Like when that opening shot came up and he was there, I was like, no, wait, we're watching a Justin Long movie. Hell yeah. Um, Also, as much as he's not a C tier in terms of good-looking celebrities, either is Emily Emmy, Emmy Rossum. Yeah, she's beautiful. She's very baby. She's got some well. like Kate Siegel vibes. Yeah, well, it's funny. She came out on screen, and like I got Lizzie Kaplan vibe, who I also think is very baby. But um, she has like, and like both of them go through stages through it's very well done in this film because it feels like the i'm like oh i had hair like that oh i had hair like that oh i had hair like that (laughs) (laughs) jinkies (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was it was really well done yeah i loved both of them in this i mean the film is pretty much just the two of them yeah um i liked it i don't know if i'd watch it again i agree i'm glad i got it from the library and as far as romance movies go it either needs to be like sad or weird or queer for me to invest in a romance movie. Right. All three, preferably. Uh, mm-hmm. But this one is sad and weird. So two out of three ain't, ain't bad. Yeah. So it, you know, could do it. Yeah. I ain't watching like, um, just like a regular romance movie. He's just not that into you. Sweet Home Alabama. <laughs> I've seen it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. It was yeah. This was very cool to to get a rom com ish movie from Sam Esmail, and the fact that there's so many Esmail isms that exist in this that then transferred over to Mister Robot, including the end, like all of the end credits and opening credit typefaces. Like it's all of the credit. If somebody saw a comment, was like, "You want to make a TV show? (laughs) (laughs) Do this, but darker." Yeah, and more computers. <laughs> <laughs> more vigilantes. <laughs> more hoodies. Do this, but like anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Do this, but Guy Fox. Do this, but like F Society. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, what I do want to say is if you're listening and you haven't seen Mr. Robot, 
highly recommend. Yeah. Highly, highly. Unofficial Rad Wreck of the Week. Maybe it should have been the official Rad Wreck of the Week, but at any rate, how did Comet make you feel? Uh, It made me want to see Sam Esmail's take on every genre. I want to see a horror movie from him. I'd love to see a Sam Esmail Western. I'd watch that. (laughs) (laughs) I want to see him lean even heavier into sci-fi. Yeah. I, I think it it may not be the best thing. Again, this isn't the best thing I've ever seen. No, but, but it I was enjoyed good. watching it. Yeah. 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 How about you? Just made me feel like a swell of feelings. When the movie was done, I asked you what you thought. And you said you're still processing. Yeah. Like there's just something about Sam Esmail's work that I think hits us both in the heart. And I don't think it happens to everyone who watches his work, but that's uh, such as the subjective nature of art, which is a beautiful thing that we all are impacted by different things in different ways at different times. But you and I both seem to, Sam Esmail, he does something to us. Oh, man. And this fucker has such a lock on good music and his shit. Yeah. Like, it's this heart-swelly, cinematic, synthy stuff. I and, mean, and Mr. Robot is a lot of M83. And who's complaining? Not me. God. Damn. It's so good. Let's take it home. Last movie of the week. Okay. We we left the house. And we left the house. And, and watched our first 2023 movie of 2023. Took, uh, took us till February. Yep. To do that. Um, okay. We watched the... This is not a comedy drama. <laughs> Did not change that from the last film. It is a crime, crime horror, horror mystery. mystery. From 2023. Mystery. Infinity Pool. It was written and directed by Brandon Cronenberg, who we know from Possessor, and also the son, the seed of... <laughs> David, Nepo baby himself. <laughs> David Cronenberg. But also Canadian little baby boy, <laughs> Brandon Cronenberg. Uh, it stars Alexander Skarsgård as James, Jamesy, um, Mia Goth as Gabby, and Cleopatra Coleman as M. The synopsis is, James and M. Foster are enjoying an all-inclusive beach vacation in a fictional island of Latolka? Latolka. Latolka. Uh, when a fatal accident exposes the resort's perverse subculture of hedonistic tourism, reckless violence, and surreal horrors. God damn. Okay. Um, I was looking forward to this movie. And I would be remiss not to mention that the whole, I mean, we probably would see this anyway, but a big drive to why we saw this is because we entered a little contest um, that was being hosted by the Edmonton International Film Festival. And we won a pair of tickets to this. So nice. thanks to Ife for sweet. Okay. <laughs> thanks to Ife for hooking us up with a couple of little tickets. We took our good buddy Ashley and we saw Infinity Pool. What'd you think? <laughs> it's yucky. <laughs> yeah. It is yucky. Also, it was um when the movie was done, I asked Ashley she hadn't seen Possessor. I don't think she'd heard of Possessor. And the only David Cronenberg she's seen is the fly. Mm. So I was like, oh, like I mean, the fly is pretty yucky. Yeah. But the fly is more gooey. This and was this more, more bloody. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Wee gooey. So what I'll say about this movie, it took a little bit for me to get into it. So I was like, yeah, yeah we're yeah, we're at but a was, resort. But I was in. Yeah, I wasn't like, oh, I'm bored. But I was like, let's get to it. Yeah, yeah. Let's get to it. But when we got to it, also, I think this is one that the trailer gives a little bit too much away. So if you can just like 
if you like bloody, perversely sexual, gooey, body horror, nasty, icky in your stomach, just go see it. Don't watch the trailer. Yeah, we're just going to start talking like babies <laughs> soon. Poo poo pee pee, ooey gooey. Bam bam. <laughs> um, but I did like because so much of the lead up to like the first moment that is very Brandon Cronenbergian mm-hmm. um, is in the trailer. I was like, let's just get to it. So I kind of wish I hadn't seen the trailer. It's a good trailer, yeah. but yeah. then it's like, ah, yeah, I know where I know where we're going. So can we just get there already? Yeah, it just kind of reawakens the whole conversation that we continue to have. Of do we even watch trailers anymore? It's difficult. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I can actually pinpoint the exact moment in the film that took me from on the fence to, oh, I'm all in. Yeah. Yeah. But I was also here for what the trailer did do successfully is that I was looking forward to some Mia Goth madness. Yeah, Mia Goth screaming. It's one of my favorite things. Pearl like put me all in on Mia Goth. And there's a moment in the trailer that is even better in the film yeah. where I'm just like, oh, Mia Goth is going full Mia Goth. And I'm, I'm pretty sure we're pretty like face forward while we watch a movie people. But I think there was a couple moments that were just so. Whoa. Yeah. That me, you and Ashley all like turned to each other, hands to our faces, mouths open, being like, oh, what my the, God. What the fuck? <laughs> and uh, that was one of them, I think, when Mia Goth is just screaming. Very cute. Um, super good. Yeah, when it goes gross, it goes gross. This one is is pretty bloody. And some of the yeah. violence in it is like really upsetting. Like it's really. Yeah. Well, you did make a point when the movie was over that the blood kind of reminded you of Suspiria and that it is so bright and thick as to be vibrantly paint-like. The oh. violence felt very real. Yeah. In a way that's not fun. You know, it's not that stylized. Even though the blood was stylized, there's an extended scene of someone being stabbed and it felt like if you were watching a film of like a snuff film of yeah someone being stabbed that that's what it would be and it wasn't fun it was very upsetting and it was very interesting because like the use of lights and color and then the that sort of blood aesthetic it felt very kind of jalo yeah 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 but then it took that jalo element and fused it with very real violence yeah so it's got this very intentionally clashing realism and surrealism yeah um, in a way that is done quite purposefully and I think too strong effect. Yeah. Um, it's like this got me like that deep gut sick that I can get from like Michael Haneke films, um, Lars von Trier films, Yorgos Lanthimos films and um, like with Raw and Titan with Julia DeCarno's films like where I'm just like sick at what humans are capable of and it's what's happening on screen feels very indicative of the darkest corners of our real world. And I feel really sick about it. Yeah. It's kind of that feeling. I mean, first of all, gut sick is a great metal band name. Um, I'll start it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's kind of that feeling you get where, I don't know if this ever happened to you, but if you just all of a sudden end up in a corner of the internet, that is not good. 
Where are you going? I just uh, by accident. (laughs) (laughs) Elliot. We're just like you like you accidentally click on something or you click on something and you're just like all of a sudden something's on screen that you're like, I didn't I didn't want this. Pass. (laughs) Doesn't happen to me. (laughs) I'm very scared of the internet. Rightfully so. I did not go on Reddit for a very long time because I was scared that I would accidentally see a snuff film. That's fair. But I stick to just like R slash movies. <laughs> That's safe. And R slash A24 and R slash Letterbox and R slash Good Mythical Morning. Like I'm <laughs> I don't I don't I don't go to the corner. I, I don't even I don't even start drifting to the side because I don't want to get to the corners. No. And I'll I'll clarify that the, this was like younger me who had like unfettered internet accents access at which is up. scary yeah i mean we talked about this in our episode where we talked about we're all going to the world's fair the internet scares the shit out of me and it's the same feeling i get it's why skin and rink works for me of like and um sinister before it goes full the ghoul um <laughs> the idea that like you could stumble upon something you weren't meant to see that is from the darkest corners not just of the internet, but of the human psyche. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And this film has no VHS internet stuff going on in it, but it does have that deep gut sick. This is what people are capable of. Yeah. Mixed with this hyper surreal body horror that fuses like sex, violence, and the ooey gooey of flesh. Yeah. In both sex and violence that like a Gaspar Noé does or a Julia de mm. Carnot does um, or a David Cronenberg does mm-hmm. um, and puts those things together in this really icky way that is perversely fascinating. Yeah, that's a great description. Perversely fascinating. That's exactly it. Um, you want to talk about the piss audience? My God. I know that this is on me and that we could have moved and I said, no, it's fine. But where we were sitting, we were in the back row of the theater. And at the opposite end of the aisle, there was, I think, just one guy that was there. And throughout the whole film, it sounded like he, I mean, it sounded like he was horking a loogie. Like it was like, like throughout the whole film, except it would stop when he would pick up his cell phone, which was not silenced so full brightness he was getting he was getting text messages that were dinging and he he had freaking keyboard sounds on so you could hear him typing and yeah full brightness on his screen and he would stop horking when he was on his phone and then as soon as he was off his phone it would start up again so there was no escaping it and you'd know when he was going off his phone because he would slam it down into the cup holder so loud and then like there was a lot of zipper noises like I don't know what he was getting out of his jacket or whatever. I did think the movie wasn't loud enough. But then it, yeah. There was a problem with the audio. It kept um, clipping yeah. at some points. Yeah. Like, it, and I think it was a problem with the audio in the theater, like with the speakers, not a problem with yeah. the film. Yeah. But my God, that was just. Who comes to a movie just to be on their phone? But we had a, a conversation that is really ringing true of. We have more audience problems when we go to Cineplex than we do when we go to Metro. Yeah, I think I said 95%. So I actually went through and looked at like all the movies we've seen in the theater in the last year and a bit. And I think there's been a handful of times, 
like a 5% out of 95%. That's not right. Five out of every 100 times um, where there's been like an issue with an audience member at Metro. And at Cineplex, it's like out of every 100 times, 75 of them have been a problem. Yeah. So. Which really sucks because movies are just generally more expensive at Cineplex. So you're paying more money. And also these people are paying more money to fall asleep and snore, to go on their phones, to I make, will say, be noisy and talk. It's ridiculous. It might just be a correlation does not equal causation thing because we don't go to Landmark very often, but we've never had a problem at Landmark. So I don't know. I don't know what it is. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's just that like Cineplex movies are the most accessible. And so like. That's what it is. Landmark. That's Landmark's downfall is like they are the furthest away movie theaters. <laughs> From us. <laughs> and in like the most weird places for the far us. far reaches of Edmonton. This is true. Cineplex is accessible. More accessible. It's very easy. Drop your teen off at the movies. Yeah. On um, bus routes. And then Metro is like, as our niece said, this ancient history dusty theater uh, art house theater yeah. yeah that uh not a lot of people think to go to first so it attracts the true truer movie lovers of the city who tend to respect movies but it, but it's frustrating because you know there, i don't know there was probably 10 to 15 of us in the theater and it was one person who was a problem right so it's not that like everybody who goes to cineplex is a piece of crap it's just that like there's more likely to be that one piece of crap person at a Cineplex. And the rest of the theater is being great. Mm-hmm. But there's this one at Dillhole who's being like dragged. I feel like Cineplex is also the like, I got dragged to this movie I don't want to go to. Yeah. Because we had that problem at the menu where like there was a couple and the one person seemed to like really want to see the movie and the other person was just on their phone. Yeah. Or the like, let's go to the movies and see what's playing. Oh, the favorite isn't about Queen Elizabeth. Like, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. Anyway. Yeah. What? Look out out there. It's a, it's a gamble. It is a gamble. Um, Let's get back to talking about the movie, though. Um, I wanted to say, too, Alexander Skarsgård is not a selling point for me on movies. I don't know, but I don't know why I don't care for him. Because he was the... Sexy the, vampire. He was the Jacob of... Or the True Blood? Well, I mean, he was like the. But I didn't even watch True Blood. We did a little bit. Like, like I never, a season in a bit. I never got to where it was just Skarsgård thirst trap. I never got that far in the show. No, but he is the um, like he's not the Edward Cullen. Like he's not the one you're supposed to be rooting for. It's like the other guy. Yeah. So he's, but the Skarsgårds play nasty really well. They're really good at icky picky. Yeah. Like, yeah. all of them, dad included. Yeah. Because, like, we were talking about after that Mia Goth was in Nymphomaniac with Stellan Skarsgård. And the uh, Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what it is. But, like, he's he's good yeah. at being the characters he plays. If he needs to be nasty, he's really nasty. He's kind of a bit of a, a, a dingus in this. And he does that really well. I don't know. And then, like, Northman, hyper-masculine. The internet told me it might just be a little rumor rumor, but that Robert Pattinson was offered this role and turned it down. I'm just I'm replaying the movie in my mind with him in place. He's the Batman. <laughs> I mean, I can I can I can see it, but I feel like Skarsgård is the right fit because he's blonde. <laughs> <laughs> he does look 
inherently douchier. Yeah. Like, he's a very handsome man, and he is a very talented actor. When you look at him, you're like, he seems like he might be a bit of a dick. Yeah, he has resting dick face. For sure. Definitely. Definitely. I liked this movie. I did too. And I think you were kind of talking about it. I think after we watched it, a rewatch would heighten it, I think. Especially without clicky clock keyboard, harka loogie loser. Yeah. The radio. Um, I do want to ask, why do you think it's called Infinity Pool? I mean, there there is a, a mention of it in the film. Um but also the literal infinity pool is like the pools that look like they don't end and like go off like a cliff ish thing. So, I mean, it could be about like the unknown or like what comes next or not knowing the future kind of Uh thing. Don't want to get too spoilery. What do you think? Um, my English teacher brain says like break it apart. So infinity is like, it, it never ends. Yeah. Right, it goes on forever. Um, and a pool has this kind of dual symbolism of like water as like a baptismal or like re- refreshing, but also a pool as opposed to like a river or a lake as this like manufactured body of water um, and this contained body of water. And there's almost this like paradox in it, right? Like an infinity pool. Pools are, they're not oceans, they're not rivers. Um, and I think without getting into what the film's really about, like it speaks to like that paradoxal, it goes on forever, this thing that that is man-made but appears to be natural. Yeah. And I, I, I like that. I love That's very teachery. That's very good. <laughs> um, but like also I feel like that's the name that you could give to the one device. Yeah. That kicks everything off yeah i agree that this is this is this is why we're really good uh working together because <laughs> i go very literal you, you go very are heady. you are a literal boy yeah if i can see it that's all it is you're a real boy real boy and i'm a surreal gal <laughs> we well, should rename the show that real boy and surreal gal <laughs> yes um oh, i guess it's me how did infinity pool make you feel oh it just made me feel a yuck deep in my gut but i like that yeah 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 made me feel icky picky but also swept up in the mia goth of it all that was that was that was that was great okay it is dads of the week time let's get into it who is your bad dad nominee Hands down, Gabby. Gabby. Mia Goth. Yeah, that's good. Ugh, I hate this, Elliot. That's good. I hate when you do it like this. You're like, mm, mm. not what I picked. That's good. I honestly, that's good. honestly, I struggled with this a little bit. So, it's like you're struggling with your microphone. Right yeah, now. it's it wants to be further away from my lips, but I want it real close to the lips. Uh, How did you struggle? It's hands down. Mia Goth's character of Gabby Bauer. Go into it. Get into it. She is a snake from the beginning. You can just see it in her eyes. Oh, snake. She's non-consensual mm-hmm. in multiple ways. Yeah. Um, on tent warning. 
for lack of consent in this movie. Um, she is, I mean, the synopsis puts it really well. Like she's hedonic, hedonistic and reckless and with absolutely no remorse. It's about her gratification. It's about what she wants. It's about how she feels, um, which is manipulative and selfish and just like so icky. Mm-hmm. You want that character raising a child? No. Do you? <laughs> Clearly not. No, I, I, I think that's a really good pick. I'm not poo-pooing that at all. But I actually went on the opposite side. I said Jamesy from Infinity Pool. Jamesy. Jamesy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I picked him just because of how easily he's influenced. And he kind of just does what he wants without any communication or regards for others. And that's kind of dangerously selfish. And and because of that, he so easily gives into his own whims with very little influence. So if you like, would you want somebody mm. as a parent who is that easily tempted to be a bad parent? And to like abandon their supposed moral integrity. Yeah. Okay, damn you, because I see what you're saying. In a sense, at least Gabby knows who she is and doesn't hide it. Well, she hides it a little bit, but like. But being a fakey fakey, and then that's just revealed by how easily yeah. that can be undone. That's, that to me, that's. I mean, like everyone in this movie is bad dad of the week. Yeah. Infinity Pool is just bad dad of the week, but I, I actually, I do see what you're saying, that like, Gabby's awful. Yeah. And the whole posse is awful. Yeah. But James is the epitome of someone who has no backbone or spine. I don't know why I said both of those words. Um, (laughs) My backbone, a.k.a. (laughs) My spine. spine. Just in case you didn't know what a backbone is. Uh, Let me explain backbone to you. But he's, he's cowardly and he, yeah, he's very influenced by peer pressure. Yeah. And to, to like, abandon things he's worked for, things he's built. Um, he's very easily swayed by things that other people can like see through. Yeah. Yeah. He's a little piss boy. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Oh, wow. I can't believe I did this. Okay. Uh, Jamesy. 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 Don't, don't be, be our, our dad. dad. Um, Rat Dad of the Week. <laughs> I nominated Robbie. From me and you and everyone we know, who's the, the <laughs> no, little kid? No, Here, Robbie. Here's why: this little Back guy and forth <laughs> forever. This little guy is living his own truth. He is living his own, truth. and he isn't deterred by others. Like he takes a lot of flack for living his truth, but he sticks to his guns. And for like a little kid of all people to do that, and to you know, we can assume carry that sort of. It's almost the opposite of James, like not being influenced by other people to being somebody that who he, who he isn't and that he pursues that is wonderful. And he discovers himself through the internet at a young age, even though we have talked about how dangerous that is. We've all been there. We all, yeah. if you grew up with the internet, in some regard or another, we're discovering who we are and our likes and dislikes through the internet. Um, also, he's hilarious. In a very deadpan way, which is my jam. Okay. Robbie, you? 
I picked Yorma Tacone's character of Owen. Oh, okay, yeah. From yeah. Pop Star Never Stop, Never Stop thing. <laughs> um man, it's, it's <laughs> obvious. Like he what's really great about this character of Owen is he at first glance you might think that he's naive and he's like cowardly and he's easily taken advantage of, but he's actually he's a Wayman Wang. He's a lead with kindness, see the good in people. But he also, he doesn't do that uncritically. Like, he doesn't do that without also acknowledging the faults and acknowledging the problems and, you know, reaching a point where boundaries matter. Mm. But even when he's enforcing those boundaries and acknowledging those problems, he still has the capacity for forgiveness. He still sees the potential for growth in others. Um, he focuses on the positives, but without dismissing the negatives or being unaware of them and i think that's a really admirable thing and i think that's exactly what you would want in a parent somebody who sees the good in you but doesn't uncritically dismiss the areas you still have to grow in um who sets boundaries but still leads with love like and parent trap <laughs> like he quit <laughs> <laughs> He's yeah. the heart of the movie, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like that. I also just really like Yorma. I, I, he's so cute. He's so I'd funny. Man. And I just like him and Hot Rod, also great. Yeah, I like him. Did you know all of those uh, all those boys' wives were in the movie? Oh. Yeah. That's great. I really like Lonely Island. All right. Yeah. Owen? Owen. Be, Be our, our dad. dad. Okay. I'm changing my rad wreck of the week because I'm, I'm going back to a much better one that ties directly into what we were talking about. I was, I was going to say, now nah, maybe I'll save it till next week. <laughs> I'm changing it to, to Mr. Robot. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, we were praising it like, like nuts when we were talking about Comet. You should watch Mr. Robot. It is so good. Makes you feel all of the feelings. It's the best version of if you're looking at a pro, a show with a pro, a protagonist who is not perfect by any means and is flawed and makes some very questionable decisions, don't go to Breaking Bad. Don't go to House of Cards. Don't go to Ozark. Watch Mr. Robot. Not that we're saying you can't like those things. But I Mr. am. Ro Elliot, <laughs> we talked about this. I'm just saying this is how passionate about it I am. And I'm not saying I'm not saying it's wrong for you to like those things, but I'm saying if you do like those things, this is better. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Mr. Robot is phenomenal. Get into Rami Malik before he started doing shit sellout movies. Real shame what happened with that guy. No, get him in between Night at the Museum and Amsterdam. Yeah. Get him in the sweet spot. Get him in between his super ridiculous shouldn't have won bohemian rhapsody academy award and when he was on that weird sitcom he was on get him in the get him in the sweet spot when i am so in love with him all i do is draw pictures of him on my ipad doesn't <laughs> yeah. happen anymore hello paul mescal <laughs> and uh i mean his name's elliot in the show not spelled the same but you get to hear my name a whole bunch so that's pretty cool um it's incredible. The whole cast is incredible. It's great. And like I said, the show just levels up from season from season to season. And who doesn't love a show that just gets better? 
that's super enjoyable. Really good. It sticks the landing. Big time. Rad wreck of the week. Mr. Robot. Mr. Robot, baby. Okay. This was excellent. Thank you so much for listening. We drop a new episode every Thursday. You can follow us and slide into our DMs on Instagram at baddad.raddad. Get a sneak peek at what we've been watching on our individual Letterboxd accounts. And we would absolutely love you forever if you'd share us with the rad people in your life and drop us a rating, review, or follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening from. That is going to do it for Real Boy and Surreal Gal this week. So until next time. I am Kylie and my dad is dead. I'm Elliot and my dad's a deadbeat. I remember. Not all dads have to be bad. <laughs> Why'd you say it like that? <laughs>